Hello, Acapella Radio, and welcome to another new episode of Tacapella, a podcast for the acapella community where we examine the culture as well as the ins and outs of vocal music, along with the people who are working to shape it. I am your host, Alicia Edwards, and joining me today is, oh, just kidding, it's still just me, no co-host yet, but if you're interested, send an email to amanda at acaville.org and let her know why you think you'd be a good fit for the show. Now, if you're anything like me, the entire month of December is for Christmas music, even after December 25th. And this episode will be no exception to that. So joining us today is probably a guest who has had the most exposure, I would say, of almost anybody on Tacapella, dare I say that. We have a guest joining us today who has performed with none other than Michael Buble, who has performed on the Graham Norton Show, on The View, and her group has been featured on soundtracks for Grey's Anatomy and Chuck. Joining us today is none other than the founder of the Papini Sisters, Marcella Papini. Marcella, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Alicia, and thank you for having me. Oh, of course. How are you? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Our guests can't see, but I am wearing one of my few Christmas sweaters in celebration of the season. I do love Christmas and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about some Christmas music today. So, Marcella, tell me about your background in music and how the Papini sisters started. Well, <laughs> it's, it's quite a long story, but basically, when, when I was 12, little 12-year-old me, I, I, I used to play the piano since I was like <laughs> five years old, and I was really into classical music. And I discovered opera when I was... 12 and became obsessed with it and I wanted to become an opera singer but at 16 I had a failed audition that sort of ended my dreams oh no (laughs) and sort of sent me in an entirely different direction I still continued to listen to opera but I started veering into other genres as well and then I discovered vocal well I discovered jazz in my late teens and specifically I've really got into harmony groups like Manhattan Transfer, Lambert, Hendrix and Ross. And I got obsessed with intricate swing close harmony. I didn't really discover the Andrews sisters and the earlier groups until much later, until I actually graduated in jazz performance from Trinity. Yeah, so I was at Trinity College of Music in London. This was my second degree, actually, because my first degree, I did fashion. And Uh I briefly worked in the fashion industry. And then I thought, nah, I want to be a musician. (laughs) (laughs) And I went and retrained. So while I was studying at Trinity College of Music, I was in the jazz choir. And I really, really loved it. And I met Kate Mullins, one of mm-hmm. the other two singers in the Papini Sisters, while in jazz choir. We were the tenors because there was a shortage oh, wow. of ma- there was a shortage of men. Oh. We were always commended on how brilliant our section was. Look, mm-hmm. as a section, we were super tight and really properly swinging. And when I graduated, I horribly missed singing in the jazz choir and I thought you know what it's time I I had only ever had a little Simon and Garfunkel duo with my brother up until that Ah. point I thought it's time to graduate to something a little bit more how shall I say more uh, professional Mm -hmm. and so I created I decided to create a group and I was inspired by a movie called The Triplets of Belleville Mm -hmm. or Belleville Rendezvous yeah that gave me the idea of going back and rediscovering the tradition 
coalition of sisters groups of the 1930s and 40s, Mm -hmm. such as the Boswell sisters and the Andrews sisters and the Dinning sisters. There were so many that were amazing. And so Kate and I were the founding members. And then we later were joined by Stephanie O'Brien. And then the redhead members of the group. We've had three. (laughs) They're they're, they're a bit fiery, that lot. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. We, we, is, that we, a, is that a requirement to be in the group? It wasn't to start with, <laughs> and then it, it, it is now. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> so you've got you. You've got Kate is the blonde bombshell. That's right. And, and then we have our rotating redhead. <laughs> <laughs> well, not so rotating. I mean, Emma Smith has been in the group mm-hmm. for nine years now. So I'd say okay, she's staying. Okay. She's staying. Perfect. <laughs> you don't want any more rotation. No. Um, and, and as you said, not rotation, just changes yeah. over, over the years. I have to ask. So you're not related, the three of you. No. Nope. And I understand that the name was chosen as a tribute to the Andrews sisters. So why the Papini sisters? Why not the Mullen sisters? How, well, I, it was... As to how that how, how that was decided. It was partly in recognition of the fact that I was the founder of the group okay. and, and the, okay. the one that came up with the whole concept and everything. But also because we thought that the Mullen sisters might sound a little bit like a, a sort of Irish group. Okay. Whereas the Papini sisters it, it doesn't really well it, it's cute kind of no it, it absolutely is I think and, it's got a great ring yeah and it's a little, little bit exotic yeah that was it we didn't really overthink it if I'm completely honest oh okay okay well I think it works very well it's definitely something that stands out. I I mean, when I first found the group, I was like, I want to talk to them on Tacapella. <laughs> and I, I sent the email initially thinking, they're doing very well. They're probably not going to see this for a long time. And then when I got your response, I was blown away. And then I was like, oh my gosh, Wade, you don't understand. This group emailed me back and she's going to come on the show. And I was totally blown away. And then I was within the last few weeks looking up more of your music and in preparation for the episode and I was watching some of your performances and I literally just here in my chair with my jaw dropped (laughs) and it was it was a good kind of jaw drop it was it was amazing so kudos to you and the Papini sisters for how well you have done I want to talk about some of your covers that you've done that are not all contemporary music some a little bit I don't want to say dated but like like for me it's songs that I love like Walk Like an Egyptian and and Crazy in Love which are both on your album The Rise and Fall of Ruby Woo I want to talk about the way you've reimagined these songs because it astounds me I love that you cover songs in I mean to quote something that I've read an old-fashioned style and it works so incredibly well so how do you go about deciding what songs to cover and what does your arrangement process look like for covering those the choice of songs it it has been brought about by so many different things so the very first cover that we did or reimagination I suppose because it ended up being so different from the original it was a big hit in the UK I don't even know if you would know it it's called Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush I don't know it but now I need to go look it up it's an iconic song from the 70s I'm gonna write this down I have my little 
sheet here that I've been taking notes on from the last few episodes. And it's based on the, obviously, on the on the book, Wuthering Heights. In the 70s, it was this massive hit. And Kate Bush is still, like, one of the most legendary artists from the UK. Like, there's David Bowie, and then there's Kate uh-huh. Bush. And a lot of people in the, in the US don't know about her, but, she, yeah, she was incredible. She is still incredible. I'm going to have to look and, her up. And so the reason that we did, that we covered her first was that there's this club, well, club night in London called Ducky. And it's a very, very underground gay, what do they call it? They call themselves purveyors of working class entertainment. But okay, it's, okay. it's a gay club night at a an iconic pub in South London. And it's been going for like 30 years. And it's got the most dedicated crowd ever. And they've been nominated for the biggest art awards because uh, apart from being a club night they put on performance art spectacles during the night so they interrupt the music and they put on whatever like the most avant-garde stuff that you might imagine the djs that play at that night they, they do a lot of very 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 british music from the 70s 80s and 90s that's their thing sort of indie music so we've got it into our heads that we wanted to perform there we weren't a performance performance art group but we we had it in our heads that we wanted to and my husband is he's friends with the organizers so he called them up and said yeah because because he comes from the art world as well so he called them up and said my wife has this little group called the Papili sisters they do uh, 1940s style music and they were going yeah whatever and and then he said, not only that, but they do this incredible three-part close harmony 1940s style version of Wuthering Heights, which is the club anthem. Okay. He needed say no more. We were instantly booked. <laughs> the problem was that we didn't do it. We didn't it wasn't in our repertoire at all. <laughs> so so we got booked. <laughs> we, oh no. Yeah, we were booked for like two two weeks later oh. and then we had to prepare it and we, we had to arrange it and choreograph it and we did and we like to say that we brought the house down would be an understatement the noise that these men because it was mo- it's mostly gay men mm-hmm. and they've been known to throw stuff at performers if they don't oh like them They're, like when we started performing That's scary they, as a performer very <laughs> First couple of minutes of the song, everybody was in front of us, arms crossed, going, yeah, what are you and why are you here? And then through the song, we could see their expressions change. And by the end of it, honestly, I've never heard a noise like that. It was primal. The, the, The walls were shaking. And that told us that we were onto something. So the Absolutely. first, the very first song, and I arranged it, like we, we notate everything. We do it very okay. much. Yeah, okay. it's everything is notated because it gives you a little bit more precision mm-hmm. like, with phrasing and everything. And that sort of set us on, on a course. It might have been that that set us on that course of, of choosing sort of old school pop okay. stuff. Okay. We Yeah, we thought oh, 80s stuff, there's so many gems. And then we, we started looking at stuff like Walk Like an Egyptian and I Will Survive. And then we mm-hmm. ventured into the noughties with Crazy in Love. <laughs> <laughs> But the I, I thing is, the thing is that these days there's other, there's so many groups. Because 
back then, that was our thing. There was nobody else. When we got signed to Universal, there was nobody else that did it. It's a thing. It's, you know, there's groups that have become massive Mm -hmm. on YouTube doing that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And they do very contemporary stuff. So we've decided to stay away from super contemporary. Oh, okay. Okay. Just because, you know, they're doing it. No, oh, yeah. We don't all well, need to do the same. We've talked a little bit on episodes about branding as far as musical groups go and like finding your sound. And so it sounds like the Papini sisters, you've got your sound and yeah. you've got your brand and it's very established. And not only do you perform incredibly well done covers, but you've also performed quite a bit of original music. Yes. So who decides... When did you do covers versus original music? Like how, what does that process look like? That is kind of, <laughs> that's a very good question. On our second album, for instance, that's the, the, the biggest amount of originals that we've ever mm-hmm. done up until now, because our most recent release is entirely original. But yeah, on our second album, we were thinking, well, we've done one album that didn't have any originals. Let's do a lot. It was literally like, yeah, let's just do all of the originals in one go. And that was it. And it was also very different writers that did it. So I contributed three and Mm -hmm. Kate contributed one and Stephanie, who was in the group at the time, contributed another. And they're so different because we're completely different people. But somehow Mm -hmm. it all seemed to... To us, it feels like it's all the same voice in a way, but they're very different. I love it. Well, and and your voices blend incredibly well Thank together. you. So yeah, of course. Thank you. It's, it's <laughs> a pleasure to hear good music. So you mentioned a little bit about your record labels. Yes. So you've had the privilege of working with multiple record labels. You were originally signed to, I want to say, Universal Classics and Jazz. Yeah. And, and I mean, if Spotify is any indication of where you're currently at, I want to say you're signed with Millionaire Records. Right. And we are. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Go on. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, we own Millionaire Records. We are. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. That's, we could launch into so many things about that. I have so many <laughs> questions about that now. So can you share with us what it's been like working with multiple record labels? And have there been unique opportunities or challenges associated with that in, in your experience? My God, yeah. I mean, that is a whole <laughs> episode in itself. Of course, being signed to a major label gives you opportunities that you could never have and our first album it was a dream come true because we had no it was all potential right so universal Mm -hmm. saw this incredible potential and just threw a million pounds at us and basically said who do you want to work with and what do you want to do and it was amazing we couldn't believe it it was like being a kid in a candy store it was Uh amazing and there were no restrictions because at that point anything was possible the second album was trickier because the first one didn't go multi-platinum we only went gold Mm -hmm. so the second with the second album came the restrictions and the demands that were placed on us by the record label. So it was, which we didn't go with. We didn't cede anything. We still stood firm and said, no, I want to do this. I want to do that. But Mm -hmm. it, it started being a little bit more tense between us and them. And after that album, they decided to not renew our contract. So we, okay. basically okay. they dropped us, which could end an artist's career. Oh, yeah. yeah. If 
they let it but we thought no we had a great we had a a really really big fan base worldwide and we were playing live quite a lot so we were quite feeling quite solid anyway Mm -hmm. so we started speaking to other record labels and so we got we got signed to verve for a christmas album now verve Mm -hmm. is part of universal but because it was a new contract i mean this is incredible and it's so lucky because because it was a new contract that cancelled out our debt so we didn't bring any of the debt that we had with Universal to this new contract and then the fourth album was the same thing it was an an entirely separate contract that we did Mm -hmm. still with a branch of Universal Decca so it's amazing just the way that it all worked out the way all the pieces just kind of fell into place yeah and actually that is the luckiest situation that an artist could find themselves Mm -hmm. with because sometimes you could do all we're on our seventh release now Mm -hmm. could have been seven or at least six of them because that's what we were signed for with universal and we would still not have seen a penny from any of it Oh, because they spent so much money on the first mm-hmm. album. So yeah, it was great, basically. Well, I want to commend you for standing your ground on saying, no, this is this is what we're going to do with that second album. And I believe I if read this correctly. You did some crowdfunding. I don't know if it was specifically for that album, but you have done that with some of your albums. And yes. I'm wondering what you would recommend for other groups to successfully run those kind of campaigns. Well, again, we could be talking for <laughs> days about crowdfunding. We didn't crowdfund until our fifth album. Okay. So by then, we really had a very, very established fan base. Crowdfunding is tough. It's it, not a picnic and a lot of artists fail because because I think they probably do it too soon or they don't I mean I've seen other artists do it earlier like maybe on their second album you can't do it if you don't have a fan base unless you have very good friends you know sometimes you you could or you might you know you might be part of a church community or something Mm -hmm. some people can do it but generally the majority of artists would do it on their second or third release if they have cultivated that fan base and the thing is that we were very proactive from the beginning on myspace because we've been talking a while back our first (laughs) album (laughs) our first album came out in 2006 so we Uh were on myspace talking to people all day long every day like really really cultivating relationships and we had a forum where people on our website like forum that doesn't even exist anymore but people were chatting about us on our website's forum and Mm -hmm. forming friendships and a lot of them were from the UK so they used to meet up at our gigs the most unlikely group of people there was a group of 15 year old girls and older men which could have been (laughs) really tricky but somehow it was all really (laughs) kosher and friendly and and like a big family and they're all still with us they're still in our fan base they're still coming to our gigs oh i love that that you've been able to you, you you've performed and done so well you've brought in multiple demographics into your yeah. families and i love yeah. that we could talk about so much more and we're going to but it is time for us to take our first commercial break but don't go anywhere listeners because we will be right back to chat about some christmas music with marcella papini on Tacapella. 
Every week for an hour, we turn over the airwaves to the craziest people around, our listeners. Fortunately, they also have the best taste. Hear it all each week on the Requests and Dedications Hour. You pick tunes in the app or on the website, and we play them every Thursday at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, and again Sunday at 2 p.m. East, 11 a.m. West. Around the world, catch it Saturdays at noon London time, 8 p.m. Tokyo time. We'll be playing the tunes you pick and having a great time doing it. And welcome back to Tocapella. That's right. We are here with Marcella Papini of the Papini Sisters, and it has been wild. I'm learning so much, so I hope you are too. So Marcella, I would be remiss if I did not ask this question. Years ago, you received a call from none other than the musical icon, Michael Buble, who wanted to perform Jingle Bells, That and Bing Crosby previously did it with the Andrews sisters, and he knew of the Papini sisters, which is saying so much. Yeah. So I, I have to ask, what was that like? It really was one of those things that you see in movies, because I was in Italy, I think it was just, just after Christmas, and I was still visiting my family in Italy and I I got this text message from the old boss at Universal that first signed us and he was saying I've given you a number to somebody they're going to call you shortly and then I received this call saying and it wasn't him it was like okay it was his assistant so it was like hi this is holly i'm michael michael buble's assistant excuse me what and it was completely surreal she it was basically do you want to come to la and record jingle bells at capitol studios with david foster and yep Thank you. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And and so it, well, actually, we, we went in the summer because all Christmas recordings are always done in summer. So we were in LA in June that year. That would have been, what, 2011, because our album came out in 2010. And when we got to LA, he, I mean, he was brilliant. He said that he was scared of us because we were going back and forth about the song. And we said, well, we don't sing anything that we haven't arranged ourselves unless it's a, it's a transcript of an old arrangement we we mm-hmm. won't let anybody else arrange our vote because mm-hmm. we know what we sound like first condition then he wanted to say Merry Christmas girls and, so, and we said well no we're not girls it's got to be Merry Christmas ladies uh-huh. <laughs> so he said he was terrified of, of us oh my god and so by the so we got to the studio and there he was sitting like a little schoolboy. <laughs> It was brilliant. So the conversation of we we do our own arrangements, we don't allow anyone to do that because we know our vocals, that happened before you got to LA. Yeah, and it was okay. done via our people with his people. We At that oh, point, so- yeah, it's hilarious. At that point, we hadn't actually spoken to him yet. We, okay. we didn't speak to him until we got to the studio. There was the little schoolboy looking down. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but he was brilliant. He said, oh my God, you really are a scary lot, you three. <laughs> and I don't know which one I'm terrified of the most. And then he, he proceeded to tell us that he'd been listening to our Christmas album mm-hmm. while he was in the gym like he used it for training which is a weird choice we thought but yeah he thought it was perfect for the gym and he absolutely loved it and he'd been wanting to do something like as you said Bing Crosby and the Andrews sisters Mm -hmm. for ages because he is so steeped in all that tradition Mm -hmm. and yeah and he said he had to have us well, and, the, and then you performed live with him. Yeah, we did. At least, at least a few times. Yeah, 
Yeah, we did. We we well, we performed live at the O2 Arena in London. Mm-hmm. That was like mm-hmm. a yeah, that was a concert. But then we did his ABC Christmas show, Christmas special mm-hmm. in 2011, and then we, as you said, we did the Graham Norton with him. I'm trying to think. I think we did something else. Oh yeah, then there was another Christmas special that he did over here. I think for the BBC. Okay. So yeah, it was a few times. And when we were in LA, he. We went to LA to see him twice. Oh. Each time he took us out for dinner, took us out wow. for drinks. He invited uh-huh. us over to his house like every night. Wow. We'd go over and just have a drink and just sing songs That's until amazing. like 6 a.m. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. That's like you said, so surreal, like something you hear about in a movie. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what did the preparation look like for the recording versus the live performances? Like what adjustments? Adjustments did you have to make, if any? Well, to be honest, we just we prepare the same way in terms of yeah, wherever we perform, we have a rigorous rehearsal method where we just really we we and I, I want to say we analyze the score. We don't. We sing it. But mm-hmm. as we go, we really listen to all the inflections and then discuss it. In this phrase, we're going to swoop it a little bit like, mm, rather than like everything. Okay. Okay. We really finesse everything so that we're one voice. And sometimes it, it happens automatically. And sometimes we, we really go, yeah, let's go. Or or we do a little crescendo on a note. So, and then close it back down again. So all these things finesse quite extensively in rehearsal. And then obviously if it's, if it's a recording, we don't bother with dance moves, but otherwise then we'll do that for, if it's a performance, we we will add choreography and by choreography, it's minimal because we're not trained dancers, but we want to make sure that we move as one, as well as singing as one. like everything is very calculated yeah calculated make maybe makes it sound a little bit clinical but we it's it's Mm -hmm. just we rehearse it and we rehearse it and we rehearse it until we feel that we're breathing together and moving Mm -hmm. together and we really are one voice so right and i was taking away from it when i think music and when everything is very intentional i think that there's like a balance between the science of music and the art of music yes so that it sounds like that's something that is very relevant with what you're doing and and i think you've you've found like the perfect balance yeah. between the two from what from what I have <laughs> I mean the way that we have always looked at it from day one is the same like you always hear about the way that Fred Astaire used to mm-hmm. rehearse all his dance routines where mm-hmm. there wasn't even the tiniest hand gesture that hadn't been thought of everything mm-hmm. was so incredibly intentional and, and it was the same for all the performers of the 30s 40s 50s the, the rehearsal process was massive Laurel and Hardy the amount of choreography was immense just so that you could then go on stage and be effortless and that's where inspiration comes but it doesn't but you can block inspiration if you're not ready especially with close harmony because if you have Mm -hmm. to think about what you're singing then you're not performing yeah no, absolutely. Now, I'm going to pivot a little bit. We're still talking about Christmas, but, but the Pepini sisters just released a new Christmas EP called Dear Santa. 
I can explain. And that name, I was just giggling. I was like, you've got, that's amazing. I love, love that name, which is, which is also the name of one of the four original Christmas songs on the album. So what, what can you tell us about the album? It was one of, another one of those things that one could, could describe it a little bit as a whim because my sister had been telling me to record Christmas originals for years. She, my family are massive fans of the Pupini sisters. And my sister has always been saying, come on, you've done so much amazing Christmas music and you have written some really great originals. Do some Christmas originals. <laughs> that is kind of a no brainer. And for some reason, I'd been resisting it because it, you know, you're, pitting yourself against the greatest songwriters of all times. <laughs> you know, what is the point if there's already so much amazing stuff? But then, you know, if you, if anybody thought that way, nobody would be making anything anymore. Right, so right. I decided finally to get over it. And this year, I mean, last year and a half, we haven't been doing much gigging, obviously, because we can't. And so we had a little bit more time. And I thought, you know what? Now is the time to start thinking about writing Christmas songs and so I was uh, I was in Italy on holiday in the summer because that's when it all happened Christmas happened mm -hmm. in June mm -hmm. and I started thinking about it and then I'd been speaking to a couple of people uh, a couple of songwriters who who wanted to collaborate with us and this one person Rachel Walker who's a British songwriter we had a couple of chats and she came up with the title Dear Santa I can explain that was her idea <laughs> and I thought okay yeah I can do something with that and I love it and so that kind of then shaped the rest of the album it's only four songs it's not actually an album it's an EP <laughs> we will make an album next year because now we've enjoyed it so much <laughs> that we want to do a, a full fully mostly original album next year well it's it's very well done in your press release in, in reference to the album you've i mean to quote you it says hopefully this year we'll all be able to celebrate and be with our families so we thought what better way to mark that occasion than to record four brand new songs which we hope will become annual favorites Unfortunately, with COVID still rampaging and Omicron joining the war, how has the pandemic affected the Papini sisters and what adjustments have you made to stay relevant in the music community? Well, we've been keeping in touch with our fans online, like we've been doing monthly Facebook lives. In fact, last year we were we were going live every week because we really mm. felt that there was a need for connection. And we did mm -hmm. two big live streamed concerts as well last year, which we wanted to do this year as well, except that it looked like we were going to tour for Christmas. And so we didn't. And now it's looking like we've, we've already had one concert cancelled. It's looking a oh. bit, yeah, a bit shaky again. And it's been hard to know how to react and how to plan. You know, nobody can plan anything at the moment. So yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie, it's been tricky. And I think that the plan next year is to probably do a live streamed big Christmas event anyway, mm -hmm. just in case we're gonna yeah. do it. Because that last year was a massive success and mm -hmm. we have fans all over the world. So everybody joined in and it was it was properly live. So mm -hmm. we, we had interaction and we, we also created videos of, pre-made videos of recipes so that everybody could make their cocktails um, oh my with us in the interval. So we made it into an actual that event. That is so cool. Okay, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, if you do... 
live stream next year, let me know because I would love to tune in. That would be so fun. To pre- I, it would it wouldn't just feel like a concert. It would feel like an experience where yeah. it's like you said that interactive element. That is so cool. I feel like that adds just that's like just adding some extra like oh what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say but. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's very, very cool. I love that. So clever. And I love it. Mm -hmm. So back to your Christmas EP. So all four of the songs have very different feelings. I was was listening to it this week and and you were involved as a contributor with every single one of the songs, if, if I am remembering that correctly. So how do you come up with four very different original songs and have these phenomenal results like having a phenomenal end result for all four of them well first of all thank you well okay so the biggest co-write was uh, jingle jangle which Mm -hmm. that was the one that had the most contributors to the actual songwriting process and that to me feels the most different out of the four i Mm -hmm. at least to my ear because i can recognize things that i wouldn't do which was the reason that I, it was the reason why I wanted to write with these guys in the first place, because I had collaborated with them on something that they had created. Like they'd Mm -hmm. called me in to sing uh, a song that they'd written. And I'd recognized a way of writing that was way poppier than I'm able to do. I love pop. I'm just not able to write pop enough. I always do stuff that's a little bit too jazzy or, or a little bit too intricate for pop and I loved 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 the, their ideas and and I can recognize I would never write this line and I love it so mm-hmm. that was brilliant the other three songs well the one called Christmas C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S uh-huh. <laughs> and Twas the Night I wrote myself I mean of course the collaborator in Twas the Night was Tchaikovsky mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> and that is what makes it very different because I took the dance of the sugar plum fairy and gave it words. But that style of writing I've done a lot of in my, in another project that I used to have, which was called Marcella and the Forget Me Not, and um, reprising it next year. It was a, a mini orchestra that I used to compose for, and it was yeah a much wow. more. It was a sort of like a dark. I don't even know how to describe it. Sort of it had a, a sort of East Berlin kind of mm-hmm. feel to it, but also a little bit of murder ballad oh, aesthetic okay. to it. So I've always had. Had that sort of that sort of aesthetic as well, which I also had in one of the songs that I wrote for Ruby Woo, the Rise and Fall of Ruby Woo, called mm-hmm. And She Sang, which was some people said sounded a little bit like Danny Elfman. Oh, I, okay. I love that sort of slightly Eastern European, mm-hmm. slightly cabaret sound. But the other Dear Santa, I can explain and and C-H-R-I-S-C-M-A-S. I don't hear the difference massively in them because pretty much, I mean, Dear Santa had a collaborator, but when it came to actually writing the music, I did it myself. So we collaborated on the lyrics. But I don't know, it's, it's the kind of music that I listen to is quite varied. So to me, Dear Santa, I was 
thinking of 1960s bluesy R&B. And for CHRIS and blah, blah, I was thinking of, of the kind of girl group from this, again, from the 50s and 60s. So to me, they sound like they belong together. But yeah, it's, I don't know, I guess I just listen to so many different things. As long as I don't start writing grime for the Pupini sisters, because I love grime and trap, uh-huh. <laughs> then I, I think I can keep them in the same arena. I love it. I love it. So regarding your EP and your creative process with everything, what recommendations would you give to artists who are hoping to compose and arrange original music? Mm, that's a very good question. And that depends very much on the format of the music because that yeah that is such a good question because I sometimes write songs purely on the piano but with these songs because there's a there's an electronic element to them mm-hmm. then I was I was also experimenting with beats and stuff like that and mm-hmm. so these days if I'm doing something like that I will think of a beat I like and I often analyze beats of songs like for instance I'm obsessed with Kanye West's Gold Digger Hmm. so I I always analyze and in fact I started from believe it or not from that beat for CHRIS CMAS and and then it morphed into something entirely entirely different that bears no resemblance to the initial (laughs) intention and of course then the co-producer of the song brought his intentions as well so they morphed but when I write I'm always thinking of other songs that I love and then I think what would happen if I wrote well if if I wrote for instance there was a I once was thinking of a Frank Ocean song that Mm -hmm. I really love uh, Bad Religion and and I I was thinking what happened what would happen if I wrote that and then I was thinking, what chords would I use? And then I was thinking mm-hmm. of, of the chords to a Kate Bush song. And I was thinking, oh, okay, Kate Bush being the artist. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And what, what would happen if I if I combined the chord sequence of a Kate Bush song with a sort of similarity in the arrangement of, of Bad Religion? So I wrote a song like that for, for a personal project that I did for mm-hmm. a solo album. So I, I always think of, yeah, other songs... And I think, yeah, see what this sounds with like that. And if I can put them together and create something entirely different. And usually I do. So I always start I from, yeah, from other, another song that inspires me and, and gets me started. So it sounds like find your inspiration for your arrangements and and let that carry you. So I, I'm, I'm going to make a bold claim based on everything I have heard from you today. And, and knowing that you used to compose for a mini orchestra, I, I used to play the violin. And so I, I understand like, like how complicated that can be and the notation for the different instruments and the clefs and just all of the intricacies and details that go into that. You are probably one of the most talented musicians we've ever had on the show. Well, you are very kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't heard my mini orchestra. <laughs> Maybe it was a car crash. I, I haven't, but knowing that you you have the ability and the skill to have been able to do that. And I have to ask, so I know the Papini sisters, it's not just the three vocalists. You also have a three-member band. Yeah. Do you also compose the music for those band members like for their instrument well with a jazz trio it's it's different what we do is the arrangement we give the musicians a chord chart okay 
with notation for particular, like here the bass plays two to the bar or four to the bar, mm-hmm. or and then stabs and stops and things like that. But okay. we so we kind don't... of like a map. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. it's never fully notated. It's it's oh. yeah. But we have done our own mini big band arrangement in okay. the past. Okay. So mm-hmm. for for our Christmas album and for our Hollywood album, we all did the horn arrangements and the string arrangements okay. as well. Okay. Yeah, amazing. So impressed. I have just been blown away this episode, and listeners, I hope you have been too. But. It is time for our second and final commercial break, but don't go anywhere because we will be back for some some more fun with Marcella Papini on Tacapella. We at Acaville Radio are a social bunch. We like to perform and we like to be heard. If you want to hear from us, good news. We tweet, we Facebook, we Insta, all at Acaville Radio. Follow us and be kept up to date on all the latest in what we're playing, Aca News, and the groups we're interviewing. Or let us know what you're up to. We love hearing from you. We know you've got things to say. Don't be shy. Reach out and touch someone, namely Acaville Radio, on all major platforms at Acaville Radio. Thanks for sticking with us. We are here on our final segment of Tacapella this evening with Marcella Papini. The game is rapid fire. We have 10 questions. Marcella, are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, okay. Some people might be offended by this, but I think it would be ribeye steak. Okay. That's well, actually, can it be any part of a cow? Because I'm not? also big into <laughs> I'm big into waffle. I I'm, I'm I a, love it. I'm a big nose to tail eater. Wow. What's okay? Now I have to. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna remove one of my questions and ask you another question. Okay. Okay. What's the best part of a cow to eat? Ribeye. Okay. Okay, perfect. Well, perfect. no, maybe I'm being too conservative because there's, I, I love, <laughs> I mean, really, I love tripe. Oh, I've never had it. My husband has. And so I'm, that's fascinating. I'm going to have to try it. All but right, I wouldn't question. say it's the best part. Rib, okay. No, maybe okay. ribeye and, and the whole rib is part. Okay. Okay, very cool. All right, question number three. When the pandemic is over and it's safe to travel again, what country would you want to visit? Do I only get one? We'll do top three. Okay, well, it's got to be the States because that is like, I can't wait to play in the States again. Mm -hmm. And also my husband's from Boston, so I want to go and see his family. Oh, okay, okay. So top three, Italy I'm still going to even during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's it's good. I don't need to put it in the the list. My best friend lives in Thailand. So I want to go to Thailand. Yeah, I want to go and see him in Thailand, definitely. Uh, third, Russia. Okay, okay, very cool. I love it. What is your most embarrassing performance? Mm, okay, yeah, I have it. So it's a bit excruciating, but it, I, I never eat before a show. But on one occasion in Austria, I forgot to not eat. And oh, no. and this was a very posh theatre. I think it might have been like it was a really, really, really posh theatre in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Posh crowd, fully like full house. And I was fully on mic and I had a little incident of something of No. I, I burped. <laughs> I burped fully on the mic. And the whole theatre laughed out loud. Yeah, I think that's the most... They did. At least they laughed and they didn't, like, gasp in horror. (laughs) 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why you don't eat before a show. Just there you don't have do it. it. There you have <laughs> it. Question number five. Cats or dogs? Cats, I think. Yeah. I love it. Because we've, I think we've had a string of guests now who have said cats. Brian, who's my the former co-host who, who co-hosted with me, he always like gave me a hard time about everybody loves dogs. Everybody says, <laughs> and, and I do love dogs, but I have three cats. And so I am partial. Cats are a bit lower man- maintenance they than dogs. They very much are. Yeah. Yeah. My cats are like, all right, you're home. Pet me. Oh, I forgot. I don't want you to pet me anymore. Bye. <laughs> and they just kind of go do their own thing. Yeah. All right. Number six. What was your most memorable performance with the Papini sisters? Other than, you know, that first performance at the club. Yeah, that's tough because, I mean, there's been some incredible ones. Oh, God, that's difficult. Mm, there's so many I'm just I'm just reviewing the whole I mean one of them would have been when we went on Cindy Lauper's True Colors tour and we joined her for the west coast leg of the tour yeah and it was we played at the the Greek in LA the Greek in San Francisco I think like the venues were amazing the crowds were amazing it was a beautiful tour as well because her true colors tour is is gorgeous and all the people involved so maybe that but i mean there's I some didn't, i didn't actually know you had done that that's like i'm just i feel like i'm being blown away <laughs> with every answer i love it question number seven who would play you in a movie about your life bet davis Oh, wow. That was fast. I guess, I guess the game is rapid fire. So that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about it before. I love it. What is currently, currently your favorite song to perform? Hmm. Good question. If it's the Papini sisters, I think it's Dear Santa I can explain. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You said fun. if it's the Papini sisters. So if it's just you, Marcella. If what it's it just be? me, I used to love do, doing my stuff with my songs with the mini orchestra. And I had some, my singing in that is much more dramatic. And, and I love oh. doing like big, big operatic okay. yelps. And, and so it would be a song that I wrote called To the Water, which I, I actually like never that. recorded like with that. my orchestra. I recorded it oh. with, a, no, I recorded it with an indie band version of oh. The orchestra, which was still called Marcella and the Forget Me Nots. And what was the name of the song again? To the Water. I started writing it down and I got tea and I'm like, wait, wait, what's okay? And I'm gonna say that was a sub question of question number eight because I really don't want to take away any of my other questions. Question number nine if you were an animal, which one would you be and why? Hmm, I think. Some kind of bird, probably a crow. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, a crow or a raven, because I'm dark, mysterious, and pointy, and everybody says I look like a crow or a raven (laughs) anyways. I mean, and also, because that is uh, my favorite ever thing from Schitt's Creek. So I'd be Moira Rose as a as a raven. I, I as a crow. Love shit. Such a good show. I was I cried when it ended, and I'm like, I'm gonna go back and watch it all over again. Oh, I'm on so my third such, such third time show. round. I love it. So the crow and the raven kind of leads into question number ten, which is usually a little bit of a wild question, and it's it's always a would you rather? Would you rather have feathers for hair? 
or scales for skin. Feathers. Yeah, yeah. the crow with, yeah. Yeah, with the raven crow. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, that was it. That was rapid fire. Now, to wrap up our show, we like to give listeners something in addition to the wonderful, riveting conversation we've had, something else they can take away and remember. So, Marcella, if you could offer some advice to our listeners about anything that's been on your mind, what would it be? Well, I one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately especially especially in the last year and a half is to remind myself daily not to forget happiness not to forget things that are conducive to happiness because the worry has been so massive for the last god i mean how long is it it's nearly two years now Mm -hmm. that that one can forget that there are things that are important to to keep up and not to lose the muscle of happiness is really important. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on our show and sharing more about you and the Papini sisters. It has been so, I mean, awe-inspiring for me. And if our listeners want to learn more about you or more about the Papini sisters, where can they find you? They can find the Papini sisters at www.thepapinisisters.com. And with me, I don't have a website currently other than I, I do have a mentorship for musicians but that I have a website for that's called funforlifemethod.com. But other than that, my own website is under construction, but I can be found on social media. Instagram is at Marcella Papini or Facebook is the same thing. And the Papini okay. sisters are also on all the social media Perfect. as well. And we can find you on Spotify as well. I've been, I mean, I'm adding Christmas songs to my regular Christmas rotation playlist. Yay! So I love it. <laughs> And for our listeners, you can always find me and the projects I'm working on on Instagram at e.squared1989. Please be sure to check out Tacapella on Twitter at Tacapella. That's two P's and two L's. You can also go to our website, tacapella.org, to listen to previous episodes. We want to thank Acaville Radio for giving us this incredible platform to talk about the world that is acapella and vocal music and meet with artists like Marcella, who are making a difference in an activity that we love as well as the music industry. And that is a wrap on this evening's episode. For everything else, stay tuned.